chapter number 1. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to cover the territory of verses 18 to 32. This morning, we're going to look at uh, verses 18 to uh, 23, but I would still like to read the whole thing so that you see what's coming and you see what God is communicating in this passage. So would you stand together as we honor His Word? Romans 1, starting in verse 18 and going to the end of the chapter in verse 32, and it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God nor give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since God did not see fit, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they did not, though they know God's righteousness decree and those that practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So you may have seen a clip that has gone viral, and if you're not familiar with that term viral, it just means that it's a clip that's spread. And it's a, it's a clip of supremely gifted soccer star Megan Rapinoe. I think you've already, you're out ahead of me, aren't you? But, so Megan Rapinoe, again, very gifted, uh, very confident in her abilities, to be fair, um, has a gigantic platform that uh, she uses for what she feels is the right causes. She um, had an interview the other day. Oh, by the way, and she's won a World Cup or two. Very gifted. And so she had an interview because on the last game before she retired, in the sixth minute, um, she tore her Achilles. And so she couldn't play anymore. 
And so she took to an interview and brought God into the mix and said this, and I'll, I'll clean it up. I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, like this is proof that there isn't. This is messed up. It's just messed up. Six minutes in, and I eat my Achilles. Now, here, here's the thing that I, I just want to just remind you of. Again, supreme talent, accolades, and I tend to use this expression, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll explain it to you later, Scrooge McDuck money. Um, money. She's got a lot of money, a lot of influence, a lot of power, a lot of spotlight for agendas that frankly are against what God would say in his word. And so she finally brings God into it. I wonder if there was ever a time where she thanked God for the talent that she has, for the abilities that she has, or did she think that that was just something that was all her? And that's why whenever I, I come across Thanksgiving, I try and I'm tempted to preach this every Thanksgiving because there is a verse in there, and it's, a, it's our fighter verse for the week. It's a verse that's in verse 21 of the passage I just read to you. Where it says, although, for, although they, for although they knew God, what does it say there? They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the, the ignoring of the things of God, the ignoring of the good things that he has given them, the ignoring and, 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 and rebelling against all of those things, it starts, there's a, there's a trend, there's a pattern that happens. It's a suppression of the truth that it fails to honor God or give thanks to him, and suddenly what will end up happening is that we'll replace him and exchange him for some other worship. Even, though, even those of us who may call ourselves Christians can exchange Jesus for some great values. But what we're really doing is exchanging Jesus for self. The reason we chase after things and the reason we suppress truth is because the truth that God gives, we don't like. So we suppress it. And we go chasing after other things that make us feel better and therefore that becomes our truth. We put this on other people. Sometimes the people don't act the way we want them to act. And suddenly, they're not living up to our standard. We've actually taken the place of God when that happens. There's all sorts of subtle ways that can bring a slippery slope when we fail to honor God and we fail to give thanks to Him. That's the pivot. Do you honor God with your life? Do you give thanks to Him for what you have? Or do you feel that you deserve it? That you're entitled. Do you take for granted what God has given to you? That breath that you just breathed, that eye blink that you just did, that thought that you had about something that I may have said or didn't say. You know, God gave you the ability to be able to do that. Are we putting it in a direction that's in light of eternity as we talked about last week? If you look at verse 18, you see that word for, and that's a conjunction. That, it, it connects us to what's before. And I want to just show you some connective tissue that's there. Verse 16, which read last week and it applies this week. <clears throat> For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look look here at verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God, and here's the word here, revealed. Here the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So this gospel brings the power of God and reveals the righteousness of God. But the gospel of God also does something else. The gospel of God actually brings out the wrath of God as well. Because you see the word for. There's a connective tissue there. For the wrath of God is revealed. There's that word again. For in, verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Are you seeing it? Check me out. Revealed. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. The gospel does that. The gospel brings out, in fact, there was one old preacher that says that the gospel both quickens and kills. The word quicken is an old King James term. It means make alive. The gospel will either make you alive or it will not make you alive because it's, it's how you respond to this message. And, and this is where we get into this is because I just mentioned the wrath of God. Every time, well, most every time that I preach on the wrath of God, there is someone that inevitably says, I don't like that. Now, they, 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 they class it up a bit sometimes and all that. I just really struggle with that wrath of God business. You know, but, some, but there was actually one that says, I don't like that. And, you know, my, my response is usually this, and you've got, you've heard, some of you heard this from me. I'm just delivering the mail. Because if the Bible is the Bible, which is our authority, and the Bible is talking about the wrath of God, which is not a new concept here, it's all through it. Whenever there is disobedience among God's people, that word wrath and that idea of wrath comes out. Well, why do, why do we struggle with it? James Montgomery Boyce, a long time ago, he, he's a pastor in Philadelphia, died back in 2000. And I benefit a lot from his commentaries and his sermons even now. I love technology. That's a good way to use technology. You can listen to sermons from a long, long time ago. And he was talking about how sometimes preachers and listeners believe preaching is about a felt need, right? So if you're struggling with, with um, finances, well, a preacher, can't you just preach a sermon on finances? Well, I may need to preach a sermon on being a good steward of your money. I may need to preach a sermon on greed. Maybe you're outspending your income, right? So th- th- there, there may be other things that where you think is a felt need, but is a real need, And that's where we end up going. And then he goes on to this. He says, according to this theory, preaching should begin with felt needs because this alone establishes a point of contact with the listener and wins a hearing. But does it? Oh, it may establish a contact between the teacher and the listener. But this is not the same thing as establishing a contact between the listener and God, which is what preaching is all about. I don't there's going to be a lot of things that's going to happen in life that where you may not feel particularly connected to me. There may be something that I do that are, that are, or, or say or whatever that may not mean anything by it, but you, it, it just kind of climbs on you. But, but mainly, I don't want you just connecting with me. I want you to connect with me insofar as you are connecting with God. And so this is where we have to make sure that we're listening to. Same thing with Sunday school teachers. Same thing if you're discipling. You want to make sure you're connecting people with the Word of God and the God of the Word. So what is wrath? Well, wrath comes from the Word, which is basically passionate. Passionate with a, with a type of fury, but not an out of control. There is never going to be a time when God is ever 
ever out of control. He is always in control. And so it's not a fly off the handle type of wrath. It's a recognition that he made us and us alone as human beings image bearers of God. And yet we take what we have been given with our speech, with our thoughts, with our actions and do whatever we want. We ignore him, we rebel against him, and what ends up happening is is that even though he's given us his son and his word and his promises and, and the breath of life and all that, we take all of those things that he has given to us and rebel and go our own way. In fact, we appropriate sometimes right and wrong for our own deal without giving thanks or honor to God at all. And so R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on Romans, he says this, people today are not particularly concerned about the gospel because they don't know anything about, they don't know anything about the law of God. And they're not at all familiar with the revelation of his wrath. If people were sensitive to the manifestation of God's anger toward them, they would be so moved by enlightened self-interest that they would flee as fast as they could to hear the gospel. But their necks have become so hardened, their hearts so calcified, they have no fear of God, and people do not believe God's wrath. They think he's incapable of it. And that's the end of Sproul's quote. We have to realize that even Jesus talked about the wrath of God. There's two times in the gospel that Jesus mentioned something about a cup. One is in Matthew 20. Where, the, where two of the disciples come up and say, can we sit at your right and your left when you establish your kingdom? And Jesus in Matthew twenty twenty two says, are you able to drink from the cup that I drink from? And they said, well, yeah. They didn't know what they were saying. They didn't know what they're talking about. Then the other one is when he's in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. And in verses 38 and 39, it says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here, watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not as I will, but as you will. So the cup is, cup is the cup of suffering. The cup is the cup of God's wrath that is going to be poured out upon him. It's a wrath that we deserved. He is our substitute. He's fully God, but he came to be fully man to die in our place so that we might have a chance. We might have an opportunity for salvation. That's something that, listen, if God gave you nothing else and he just gave you that, that would be well enough to bring all the glory and honor and to be able to lay any crown that we have at his feet. That, 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 is, that is more than sufficient. And some people have a problem. Why would God do that to his son? Well, because in all of eternity, the Trinity, they, made, they, they came up with this plan, and the father sent the son, and then the son, when he, when he was sent back, he, he, when he ascended back, he was sent the Spirit so that we might have Jesus. We might have the full Trinity in us. He is moving us and working us toward our, our, um, toward what he would have us to be, which is why Isaiah 53 is so precious, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus willingly went to the cross so that we might be rescued. That's what it took. So we live embracing, as Christians, all that Christ has done. And it changes our hearts and minds. It changes our attitudes. It gives us that attitude of gratitude. But what happens is, is that some decide, when he goes on, that because of this, the wrath of God has been revealed because there are some in their unrighteousness have chosen to suppress the truth. To suppress means to hinder, stifle, incarcerate, obscure, or repress. And so here's the truth that they are repressing. Look at verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is what? It's right there. Plain to them. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that creation is telling everybody about a creator. Nothing cannot make something. But that's what we're learning in schools, right? We're learning in our schools that nothing made everything. Well, it's not that simple. Really? Then you start listening to them. It kind of is that simple. Nothing made everything. And even if you believe, as you believe in the Big Bang and everything, even science has said that without outside interference, disorder or order will always go to chaos unless there's outside something that is putting it together and making it orderly. But yet we can't, we can't have that, evidently, because that sounds too religious. But that's, that's science. That's what has to happen. And if there's a design, there has to be a designer. If there's a creation, there has to be a creator. If there's stuff, there has to be a stuff maker. Somebody's got to make the stuff. I mean, we're getting ready to have Thanksgiving. That, 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 that meal don't cook itself. And the way that I help is getting far, far away. But, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't make itself. And so that's where we see that we're living in God's earth. The earth is his footstool. We're living in God's earth and breathing God's good air. And we're looking at his creation and calling it an accident by and large. But what is known about God is plain to them. There is no one that's going to be able to get to heaven and say, I didn't have enough information that you existed. No one's going to be able to do that. And so There's something called general revelations where God makes himself known in creation. And that's where his invisible attributes, right? You don't see God, but you see the effects of it. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. So they're without excuse. But there's more to it than that. It's not just the stuff on the outside that people see, but there's actually something that's going on on the inside. Everybody who is an image bearer of God, which means everybody because we're all image bearers of God, even me, yeah, even you. 
All of us are image bearers of God. And what scripture is saying is that God has written his law on our hearts. It's amazing how no matter the worldviews that we have, unless we've really gone down a rabbit hole of certain worldviews, that most of us agree on certain things that are right and wrong and good and bad and up and down. Mostly. And so that's where Romans 2, 14 to 16 comes into play. Listen to this. For when the Gentiles, and another word for the Gentiles is the nations, ethne, ethnic. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires. So there's people that aren't Christians that are really nice people, right? They pay their taxes. They're faithful to their spouses. They, they, they go to work on time. They, they turn in their stuff, and they're not even Christians. Where's that coming from? Which, if you flip it, makes it all the more sad that people who say they are Christians and they're nasty, grumpy, and unthankful, miserable. Don't go to work on time. God's got a grace, right? Don't go to work on time. Don't turn in their stuff on time. You know, and, and so we sometimes use Christ to do something that is completely polar opposite of what a Christian should be or what a person should be. Just basic right and wrong. We take God and use it as an excuse to act however we want. Shame on us if that's the case. But I better read through the rest of this passage. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. That is the law that God gave to Moses. They don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Well, God is my father and God is a God of love. He is, but he's also judge of all the earth. He created anything, anybody that makes anything, there's a way to use it. And God has made his creation, and he's made us, and he's wired us. He's hardwired us for something. And there's a certain way that we are to use his creation, and there's a certain way that we are to behave. And sometimes we just decide we're going to go our own way and do our own thing. So this is why Paul says that not only the attributes and the laws of God are clearly perceived in creation, they're actually, there's the right and wrong that's already there in our hearts, and sometimes because our flesh and what God wants us to do, they start battling. And sometimes we decide to, it depends on which one you feed, right? And so what are you feeding? Which one are you feeding? Are you feeding your flesh and self? Or are you, make, are you starving that spiritually, starving that so that Christ will be the part of you that is fed? The Spirit is the part of you that will be fed. I love Psalm 19. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. You look up at the stars, the heavens are shouting and pulsating and screaming at you, the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. But then later on in verse 7, he talks about the special revelation of his word. The law of the Lord is the perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the special revelation of his word gives clarity to the general revelation of his creation. Gives clarity to the right and wrong. Why, do I, why, do, why is it wrong, no matter whatever culture it is, to cut in line? Right? So th- that, there's that right and wrong that he already places within us. The scriptures give clarity to that. Bring it into focus. Right? So 
when we look at the suppression of the word of God, as we get to this part here in verse 21, for although they knew God, now did they know God in the sense of knowing God as a follower of Jesus? No. Did they know of his existence and were they benefiting from all the good things that he was giving in his creation? Yes or no? Yes, yes. You got a 50, when I do that, you got a 50-50 shot. You, you really do. Yes, that, I just want to make sure because I, it's not just me talking, it's you listening. We're, we're working together in this to, to determine truth, to get, to get where we need to be. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So it's, it's, this is a worship thing. Everything comes down to a worship deal. They did not honor him or give thanks to him. And what happens when you don't do that? Futility of your thinking, your heart becomes darkened. So Don Meredith, at the end of every Monday night football game in the 70s, growing up in the 80s, turn out the lights, the party's over. They say that all good things must end. So what's happened is, is that when you suppress the truth, you fail to honor God, you fail to give thanks to him, turn out the lights. The party's over. Because a lot of good things have now come to an end. And what has come to an end is our worship. 2 Timothy 4, Paul is telling Timothy, for the time is coming. This is verse 3, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having their itching ears, but having itching ears, rather, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own, what's that word? Passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. What a slippery slope that is. Do you find yourself taking your Savior for granted? Even if you're reading the Bible like a monster, you can still take your Savior for granted. Because the Bible's interesting. It's an interesting book. Uh, But the Bible is there to have you to encounter the living God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit, but also to help transform a heart. And so if you're having a hard time honoring God in your behavior, in your thought life, in your actions in your words, and you're not honoring him or you're not giving thanks to him, then you are on a very, very slippery slope. And we have to really be sure that we are analyzing and evaluating all the time what is happening in us. Because, again, it is a slippery slope. It doesn't take much to drift. So I was reading through 2 Kings recently, and it's part of the Bible reading plan, and I came across chapter 17, as I'm prone to do, right? If you read through Kings, you're going to come across the chapter, chapter 17. And verses 7 to 25, it talks about why the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile by the Assyrians. Now, where the southern kingdom, they were taken into exile by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were taken over by the Persians, but soon they were brought back. Northern kingdom never was. They were completely absorbed into the Assyrians. They became the Samaritans because that's, they, they intermarried and that was free, okay? But when, when we're, you're reading through this, verses 7 to 25, he, God is going through all of the reasons why they were brought into exile. Now, what did it end up happening? Well, verse 15 was what caught me. They despised his statutes and his covenant. They didn't just ignore them. That's not the word that was used. They despised them. I don't like what you have to say to me about how I should live. I know better. Thank you. But no thank you. 
They despised the statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went, this is the phrase, they went after false idols and became false. They followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should be not like them. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. And so there's an evaluation there. Are you with me? There's an evaluation that we all have to take about the things that light us up. Really. And you go back to Romans, and it's talking about there in verse 22, claiming to be wise. I love, I say love, it's interesting to me, that people who are sitting on a panel, and there's three people that are sitting on a panel that have completely absorbed the, 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 the values of the culture, and then there's one guy over there that may be a little more conservative or biblical. I'm not equating the two always, but conservative or biblical, they're over there, and they're definitely an outlier in the conversation. And when they start talking about the truths that are outlined in Scripture, the other three just look at them with such sadness. Oh, you poor outdated, antiquated, bigot, you know, it's, it's really that, that deal. And that's where we've come. Anybody that believes what we believe now in the culture, we're going to be looked down upon. In fact, I'll tell you how bad it's gotten and you're not going to believe me, but that's going to be the first time. But hopefully over time, you'll see what, what's happening. Cause Carl Truman was actually the one that said this. And I've mentioned this part to you about, you know, you could be the coolest thing, strobe light, smoke machine. You can have all of it. You can have, you know, where you can rock somebody's face off and their face will melt and and that you need the earplugs to come into a worship service. And, you know, that you can have all of that. But if you still hold to man and woman only as far as a relationship and marriage, I saw something else that Carl Truman said, you're going to be thought of now as like a white supremacist in our culture. That's how badly the culture has moved. And you have a choice. You're sitting there at the fork in the road and don't be like Yogi Berra who said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. That's not helpful. You're going to have to go one way or the other. And so, you know his work, do you? He's the great, he's the great philosopher of our age. You know, he really is. But it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. That word is the same word that we get the word moron moronic in their thinking and they exchanged the glory of god for the of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things now those were the high things that people were worshiping back then what would be some of the things that we would be worshiping now well i mean part of it could be you know entertainment sports recreation education. And some of you got some things I'm sure that you're, you're seeing now where they're, they're looking at things in order. They're looking at things because they believe that these things will be able to provide a better present for us and a better future tomorrow. And so that's where they worship. They think that these things are going to be the answer. And the reason that we, they don't look to God, because long ago they have, they have suppressed the truth. Whatever you say in public has long happened in private. So you start suppressing the truth, suppressing the truth. You could be ignoring your, your, your Bible reading. You could be ignoring prayer. You may hold on to the values, but you may let Christ slip away. 
Or you could so suppress the truth that you look at something else and that gives you a little, little fire, a little light. Can't wait. Can't, let's go. And you start going after that. And it can be really, really subtle until all of a sudden you're 10 years down the line and you're wondering, how in the world did I get here? Or you may be thinking, I'm glad I got here, got away from that restrictive, antiquated, bigoted stuff. There's a lot of things that can happen, but it's choices that you make all along the way. There's a conversation that you may have. There's, there's a thought that you think. There's something you may, there's little choices that you can make all along the way that will set you on a particular course. And that's how the world becomes broken is that we just exchange God, yeah, for stuff, but mostly we've exchanged God for ourselves. We're just reflect, it's just reflected back in what we're engaged in and, and what we're worshiping. It's a slippery, slippery slope. And so as we look at this, I, I, just, I just wonder if you have an attitude of gratitude about you. Or if you have gotten so absorbed with self that you're looking at everything based upon how something affects you. Not whether it pleases God, how it affects you. Have you been one who has received his grace and will not extend it to anybody else? Are you one who has, who has so much to be thankful for, but yet you're like, no, I want more. I, I'm glad I got this, but I want this. Those are little choices that you have made that can take you down these little tributaries rather than staying on that mighty river that, that flows right to the throne of God. Jeremiah 2, 11 to 13, and I'll read this and then we will get into our Lord's Supper, but it shows nothing has changed. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can that can hold no water there's not there's, there's nothing new under the sun my my first pastorate was at this little uh, little church in breckenridge county and and the, the i would go down there on the weekends it was 100 miles from where we lived and so i would drive down on a friday and drive back on a, on a sunday and take care of whatever needed to be taken care of it was a you know, 25 people and we would go into the house. They've since fixed this, okay? They, they didn't, but they, they've since fixed this. But we would go into the house, and every so often, you know, you would turn on the, the spigot, and um, the water would not be clear. It would be far from clear. It would be brown. It, it would be just this, this lovely shade of brown. And, and when we would do that, we, we realized what had happened was that they had a big cistern that they had put in by the church. And what had happened was it was starting to get a little cracked over the years, and so some crud started getting in. And so this water that's supposed to be refreshing and supposed to be protected from all those elements, because of that cistern that they had put in, over time, as will happen, stuff started climbing through. That's what happens with us. See, God is the fountain of living water, but we're like, I don't want that water. I'll, I'll, I'll make me a cistern over here. And what's going to happen is you make what you believe is going to be refreshing and, and, and whatever for you that's going to give you life, what's going to happen is there's going to be some crud and minerals that are come in. That's what happens with us spiritually. Some of the world's going to creep in. Some bad attitudes are going to creep in. Uh, people should be acting the way I want them to. 
We need to go after the fountain of living water. Not exchange him for anything. That is a bad, bad trade. Those of you that watch sports, you know what bad trades are. That's, those are nothing compared to exchanging the glory of God for that which is nothing. Nothing. We need to be rescued. We're lousy gods. We need to be rescued. Speaking of rescue, as we look into our Lord's Supper, we're going to observe it right now. Who needs some elements? Larry has, uh, has popped up. He is at his post. He is ready to bring to you what you need. We've got, we got a couple over here. I know those of you that are watching, this makes great TV. I know. But we're going to make sure we're trying to take care of, of folks that are here. And while that's happening, be sure you raise your hand um, nice and tall. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, this is a reminder of our need of rescue. And, he, and, and the Lord took some elements of the Passover and, and appropriated it for the, the, the bread, which is a symbol. We hold to it as a symbol. We do not hold to the fact that this becomes the body of Christ and this becomes the blood of Christ. Now, these are symbols of that reality. The broken body, that's what had to take place for your salvation. The shed blood, that's what had to take place for your salvation. Jesus left his home in heaven to walk among us, to stand as our substitute so that you might have eternal life. He took the wrath that you deserved and gave you the righteousness you didn't deserve, but are you going to refuse it? Please don't. That's our only hope. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you have followed in believer's baptism, that is the first step of obedience, then this is for you. If you haven't, I pray that you will look, not partake, but look, because there's some dire warnings of those who partake of the body of Christ, these symbols, who have not already partaken of the body of Christ in salvation. We're going to sing, and there's going to be some, a song that's going to come up, and some of you know that the hymn, One Day. It is a great hymn. Diane picked this out. Credit where credit's due. Diane picked this out. It's a great hymn about the life of our Savior. So you may stay seated as we sing this, as they sing this, but let's, uh, let's sing the first and second stanzas together. One day when heaven was filled with His praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is He. Living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. He justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on the tree. 
Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. Living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. Really forever, one day he's coming, oh glory, I'll stay. These elements, I'm going to ask you to take about 30 seconds to a minute to confess whatever sins may be dealt with, maybe that that you are dealing with now. This is an opportune time for us to come to the cross and say, Lord, please wash these sins away. Please give me the strength to repent so that I can live the life that you've called me to live. Let's take about 30 seconds to make sure that we're doing that, okay? Let's be reminded of what each of these elements represent. As you look at the at the body. In verse 23 of Roman or uh, 1 Corinthians, we were in Romans, we're now in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you belong to Christ, then this belongs to you. Let's sing another stanza. One day they left him alone in the garden. One day he rested from suffering free angels came down o'er his tomb to keep vigil hope of the hopeless my savior is he one day the grave could conceal him no longer one day the stone rolled away from the door Then he arose, over death he had conquered. Now he ascended, my Lord evermore. Loving he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far. 
As we partake of the cup, we are reminded of what the Spirit tells us. In verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So if you belong to Christ, this belongs to you. We have one more stanza of Christ's life to sing about. Let's, let's sing together. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one bringing. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified, freely forever, one day he's coming, oh There's going to be a day where we're not going to have to do this anymore because the symbol will no longer be needed because the reality will be right in front of us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming. And we want you to make sure that you are ready. You've heard about what happens when we don't honor him or give thanks to him. And maybe there's some been, been some conviction, some some change that you know needs to be made because the word is, is is digging in and drilling in. And maybe you need to trust in Christ this morning. Maybe you need to repent of, of, of some sin. Maybe God's working in you. I don't know how. I'm not junior Holy Spirit. But I do know that the Holy Spirit may be moving in you. Let's make sure that we don't leave here without taking advantage of the word that's been preached and remembering all that he's done for us as we've observed the Lord's Supper. Why don't we stand together and why don't we sing this time of invitation? Whatever it may be. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Grace, God's grace.